God, we love you, and we're thankful for you this morning. And I've had this theme of thankfulness in my mind all week, and I, I just can't say it enough. We're thankful for you, God. And so I, I pray this morning, as I do every week, God, that you would be, be with me here as I speak with the words that are coming out of my mouth. Be your words, God, for your people on your day. God, if we are here for anything other than you, we're here for the wrong reasons, God. And so I pray that you would, you would just use me once again today, that these words would be your words. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, uh, closing out our two-week series, Love and Hate, uh, this week. And last week, we talked about love. So you can kind of guess what we're going to talk about this week. Um, but uh, last week we talked about love, and we talked about the love of God, this love of God, this, this love over here of this agape, unconditional love of God, the love that God shows each and every one of us every single day of our lives. And we also talked about these human loves over here that we have and how to, how to elevate them and how to submit them to, to the love of Christ that we might love as God loves. Right, and then this week... We're going we're gonna to take part of this, this second piece of love and hate. We're going to talk about hate. Right? And, and uh, hate is a, is a hard thing to think about sometimes. It's, it's sometimes hard to think about a God who, who would even be able to hate. Right? Uh, how, how do you have a God who, who, who hates? And you might have an argument there. We could have a nice little conversation about this, about a God that, that hates. But hate is another one of these words, just like love was last year, that we, we kind of misconstrue some, right? I, maybe if, if you grew up in a house like me or if you're growing up in a house that my kids are growing up in, right, we, we say something like, uh, oh man, I hate that guy. He just broke my crayons or I hate this. And, and what's the next words out of the parent's mouth? Now we don't hate. Have you ever said that before? Now we don't hate. We don't hate people. We don't do, we, we're not like what they did, but they're a person. We don't hate that person, right? And so we talk about not hating. So how do we, how do we kind of, uh, how do we talk about hate? But at the same time, right, when, when someone cuts you off, I hate it when someone cuts me off in traffic, right? I hate it when I have a parking spot just like right in my sights and someone zips right in there, right? I, there's, there's, I hate it. When the Detroit Lions lose at the last second, like they do almost every single time they lose, right? I hate that. I, I hate those things. And when I talk about that like that, I hate those things. And every once in a while, Hayden and Ashley will be like, Daddy, we don't hate. <laughs> yeah, but we, we talk about hate, and we, we, we talk about this, and, and sometimes it's, it's another confusing word in our language. And, but here's the question. Does God actually hate? And the answer to that scripturally is, is yes. Right? There's, a, there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 6. It just says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes. I'm, I'm 6.16 is where I started that. Sorry, I didn't say that. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Six things that God hates, seven that he, that he is detestable to him. These seven things, right? Haughty eyes, basically people that, that are condemning to other people, look down on people and condemn them, right? We've got a lying tongue, which is, should be a little obvious, a lying 
Hands that shed blood, also a little obvious. A heart that, that devises wicked schemes, right? Scheming about people, scheming about how to take advantage of people, and, and just being a schemer, right? This is feet <coughs> that are quick to rush into evil, right? False witness who, who pours out lies. Again, we touch on this lying thing, but really a false witness. People who are speaking falsehoods about God. And then last, we've got a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, this is a, this is a specific list of things that, that Scripture says that God hates. But I think all of these things really, really boil down to, to some one thing. All of these things are found in a person who is separated from God. All of these things are found in a person who, who has not given their life to God, who is not living for God, who is living in separation from God. And here's what I want to say this morning. God hates when the people he lovingly created, the people he, he knows the hairs on their head, he hates it when he's separated from those people. He hates it when we're separated from those people. And these, these characteristics describe a person who, who is separated from God. And this is not the goal. Right? You go to Genesis chapter 126 and it says, We were created in the image of God. And you see alluded into, into this, this, this picture in Genesis chapter 3, a picture of, of the, the way things were created, of God walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. This is the way things were meant to be. God hates it when we are separated from Him. He hates it when we're separated from Him. But we were created in the image of God. We were created to, to, to rule over the animals, as Genesis would say. We have, this, we have a, a rational mind. We have a moral mind. We know right and wrong. We have a conscience. We have a capacity for hard work. We have a capacity for creativity. We're, we're innovative. We're imaginative. We create. We construct. We dream. We build. We dance. We make music. We do all of this great stuff. But at the same time, these same people, these same human beings, have the capacity to do just the opposite. John Stott, one of, the, one of the founders of kind of the evangelical movement a long time ago, said this. Human beings are inventors of hospitals for the care of the sick, universities for the acquisition of knowledge, churches for the worship of God, but they have also invented torture chambers, concentration camps, and nuclear arsenals. This is the paradox of humanness. We are both noble and ignoble, rational and irrational, moral and immoral, creative and destructive, loving and selfish, godlike and bestial. This is, this is humanness at its core. And, and here's, here's what I want to just start by saying this morning. We are all created in the image of God. That much is, is true as we read in Genesis. We're created in the image of God. But Romans chapter 3 also tells us something else, that even though we're created in the image of God, we've been corrupted by sin. Even though we are created in the image of God, we have been corrupted by sin. Genesis, or Romans chapter 3 talks about this a little bit. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 9 here and just go for a few verses. And here's what he says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are, are all under the power of sin. As it is written, 
There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. We have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We have all, we have all turned away, is what he says. And this is, this is really the essence of sin, right? When God, when God created us, there was kind of an order that he wanted things to go in. We were to, to, to look to God, to look to our neighbor, and then to care after ourselves. See, sin basically just flips that on its head, right? We, with the essence of sin is really ourselves, right? We, we come and we look at ourselves. We turn away from God, and we look first to ourselves. And then we go to our neighbor, sometimes to take advantage of them and to, to get what we want from them because we're number one. And then lastly, we look to God. And often looking to God is as a last resort. Right, man, this just isn't working, I guess. All we can do now is pray. All right, this is the essence of sin. This is the essence of what it looks like to be turned away from God, to turn away from our Creator, to, to turn away from Him. God hates being separated from His people. And when we turn away, we separate ourselves from God. God hates being separated from us. Romans 3, later in that chapter, verse 23, says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <coughs> we have all turned away. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it would be easy to, to just kind of stand here and preach to you about all the sins that we've done and everything that we have kind of done to ourselves and created for ourselves through sin. And, and, uh, but I think we do a disservice to this first if we don't keep reading because it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's not a period, there's a comma there, and it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God, pres God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God hates being separated from the people that he created. So much so that he gave us a way out. All have fallen short of the glory of God because all have sinned, but, but God gives us the, the, the ability justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We're justified by grace through Jesus. All we have to do is, is accept the fact that God gave us, this, gave us this way out. That Realize, yes, we are dead in our sins. Yes, I have fallen short of the glory of God. But God, in His grace, has sent His Son to die for me so that I might still live eternally with Him. And this is, this is grace. This is what it's all about. This is, this, is, this is the way out that God has given us. And I think sometimes we, we often misunderstand this part of redemption that God gave us. We often misunderstand what this, what this looks like. And I just want to demonstrate this morning what this, what this actually looks like. And maybe, maybe some of our misunderstandings here. 
I have a couple chairs. <clears throat> Here's kind of the common understanding of, of how this works. In the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And they were in this relationship. They were in this, this perfect relationship. I love the image of God walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 comes, and Adam and Eve sin. They turn away from God. And again, this is kind of the, the common belief here. This Adam and Eve turn away from God. And as, as, because of God's holiness, God turns away from Adam and Eve. But God, in His grace, still gives us a chance to get back across this line here. It's through the forgiveness of of his son through the blood shed on the cross and and on the third day rising again this is this is how we get back to this side but god is always facing away from us in this view that god is always kind of separated from us god is always this kind of other other over here right god is god is only relevant as long as i come back over here and meet him where he is at but otherwise, I'm just kind of living my life the way that I live, and I'm, I'm living my life over here the way I want to live until I want to go do this. But God is never not over here. I want to give you a different, different perspective on this today that I think is a little more scriptural than that. See, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and everything was perfect. They walked in the garden. They walked in the cool of the garden together. Then the serpent comes into the picture, and Adam and Eve, they sin, and they turn away from God. But instead of turning away from human beings, what we read in Scripture is God constantly going after His people. And we read... In Exodus, the burning bush, I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm sending you to save them, Moses. You're going to go get them. And then we come over here, and we get to the New Testament, and there's a woman who's, who's at a well, and Jesus finds her there. And this woman is, is uh, she's on her fifth or sixth husband, and she's kind of living a life that that no one wants her to live, and she's lonely. And Jesus comes, and he, he sits at the well with her. And he says, I'm the water of life. If you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. There's a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has taken advantage of all kinds of people. He's, he's a tax collector. He's taken advantage of all these people. He's kind of ostracized. And he's, he's a small man. And Jesus comes into town and, and he's up in a tree. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want you to eat with me today. I want to be with you today. There's a woman over here who's caught in adultery. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have all surrounded her. They've brought Jesus here and they've surrounded her. And they all have rocks in their hands. 
And they're ready to stone this woman because she's committed adultery. According to the law, she should die. And then here comes, here comes Jesus into the picture. And he stands right next to this woman. And he says, you who have not sinned, you throw the first stone. And this woman begins to hear the rocks drop around her. Who condemns you? Well, no one. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. Go and sin no more. Right? This is the picture of a gospel. Here we have you and me who struggle with, with all kinds of sins and all kinds of temptations. And sometimes it's easy to think that God is, is way over here. And sometimes it's easy to think that he's even turned his back on us. But even though we feel distant from God, I can tell you this this morning, God is never far away. God is right here, right in front of you, saying, hey, I love you. I want you back. God is not a distant God who doesn't care about you or where you've been. God knows you intimately and cares about you deeply, and he's right here next to you. He's saying, I love you. I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know why you think I wouldn't love you. But I'm right here. And I love you more than you will ever know. More than you could ever know. See, God hates when he's separated from his people. But can I tell you what? The person who's separating from God is not God, it's you. Because we go over here and we separate ourselves and what happens, God chases us and he's right here next to us. And he says, you can't get away from me, I love you. I love you. And we go again and we say, well, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't think I can live up to your standards, God. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be done for a while. And God says, all right, I'll be here when you get back. God, I, I just, I don't know how you did this, God. I don't know how you could do that. I don't know how you could allow that in the world. I, I'm done with you. God says, I love you. I think you get the picture. This is a story. This is the gospel. That God is never far away. God hates to be separated from his people, but the only person that is separating is you. Romans 8 Romans 8 says this, starting at verse 38. For I am convinced, and this is Paul speaking here, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is never far from you. The love of God is never separate from you. Oftentimes we feel distant from God and we feel separated from God. And God hates it when we feel that way because God is right here next to us the whole time. If we just say, God, I need you. God, I recognize that I that I'm living in my sin. God, I recognize that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have, I have fallen short of the glory of God, but I need you. 
God, you are God and I am not. God, I'm done living this way. I repent. Which means I turn, if this is us, I repent means I turn 180 degrees and I go towards you now. And I commit to live this way. I think some of us are kind of stuck in this thinking that as long as I'm, that God has somehow turned his back on us, that he's separated himself from us. I just want to say again this morning, the person who is separated is you. God's grace is never too far away from you. Never unreachable. You are never out of the reach of the grace of God. So this morning, I just, maybe you've never seen it that way before. And maybe this morning you think, man, I, I need that. I want that. I want this grace. I want it in my life. I want, I want God in my life. I am not God. I want to repent from my sin. If you've, if you've never done that before, I want, to, I want to pray in a second. I want you to, to pray with me. But maybe you have done that. Maybe you've made this decision in your life before. And you've made the decision to say yes to God and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to follow in your ways. But maybe, maybe we've separated ourselves from God a little bit. And may today be the day that we come back and we say, God, I want to live for you again. May today mark the day that we, that we begin living our lives for Jesus again. Let's pray together. God, God, this morning you've made it clear through your word that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God, you hate it. You hate it when we are separated from you. But the only one who is separate is us, God. You are always nearby. You are always here. You are ne- we are never out of the reach of your grace, God. May we remember that this morning. And God, there are some of us in this room, I'm sure, who have never made that decision before to say, yes, I, I want you. I want to follow you. God, I repent. I, I want to repent. I want to, I want to live for you now. God, and if, if you are if you're in this room right now, you just want to pray this prayer with me and be able to say this to God, to say, God, I, I repent. I, I, I need you. Just pray this after me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for living life on my own terms. I'm sorry for, for not following you the way I should follow you. But God, from this day forward, I want to follow you. From this day forward, I want to live for you, and I'm yours. God, there are some of us in here who have, who have prayed that prayer before, who have said, God, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm yours. And, and we've kind of strayed away. We've separated ourselves from you, God. God, would today be the day that we pray that that would not be the case? May today be the day that we pray again to follow you, to accept you, to live for you. May our lives be changed forever because of this day today. God, we, we give you praise this morning because you are good. 
God, you are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of, of everything that we give you because you are an amazing God. And God, I pray that as we go forward from this place, that you would go ahead of us and go with us, that we would, we would live for you, that we would follow up on the commitment we made today to, to not be separate from you, but to live for you and with you. And, and God, would you empower us by your spirit today? God, we give you praise. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, I just want to say, if you, if you this morning prayed that prayer for the first time and just gave your life to God, I, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to, uh, to begin to, to read, begin to read the Bible, begin to, to pray regularly. I want to encourage you also to tell somebody that you made this decision, whether it be me or someone you came with or whatever, just tell someone that you made this decision. If you need a Bible, uh, there's probably a Bible right in front of you. I just, just take it. Take it with you. It's yours. And, uh, man, I, I just I want to encourage you. If you need anything and as you begin your faith journey, just let me know or let someone in the church know, and we would love to help you. I love days like this. And uh, it's not over yet. We get to go, and we get to have lunch together. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for our food real quick, and then I'll have you uh, stand, and I'll give you a blessing, and then we can all go, go eat. So... Let me, let me pray for our food real quick. God, we love you, and we are thankful for you again today. God, I thank you for this time we get to have where we get to fellowship and eat together. And God, I pray that this food that we eat would energize us today to live for you, to make a difference in our community. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And just hold out your hands and just receive this blessing. May the God of love and may the God whose grace is never out of reach. May he go with you and ahead of you this week. May he empower you by his spirit to make a difference in your community. And may you go in peace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.